Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, one of the hosts for the longest-running Dynasty-focused podcast on the planet, the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you an episode packed with relevant and actionable Dynasty information that you can use to help win your league. When I'm in the host chair, we might even play a game or two. We are always open to topic suggestions, so if there's something you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. Thanks for listening. Dynastyweekbookclub.com and the DLF family of podcasts. That's James the Brain. John, we are entering week 17 of the regular season, or as us fantasy people know it, week five of the preseason. <laughs> Man, that's that's actually like a really depressing way to categorize it. It is, it is. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, week 17 is pretty bad. However, for NFL purposes, there are some games that have some meaning. Especially in the NFC, so um, you know, there's that. That's something, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, for some of us, this is week one of the off season. But uh, <laughs> on on that note, I am John, reigning, defending, non-point scoring season champion Hogue, and this is the Super Flex Super Show. Wow, John, congratulations on that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not and it's it's not uh not subjective at all no like there's uh, just absolutely no doubt yeah, that i that i win in a non-point scoring season <laughs> uh un, un, unbeaten in a non-point scoring season by the way um that's impressive yeah yeah so there's something to shoot for uh here in uh whether it's week one or week five uh, that's that's going to be the goal here. So this is the first episode of the Super Show since the end of the the fantasy football regular season. Well, the fantasy football season in general, in fact. And uh, we had a little bit of time off for the holidays um, for me to get sick. Uh, so I don't know if you've uh, if you're able to catch on, but um, if I sound nasally or or a little extra gravelly or whatever. That's uh, that's that's why I'm I'm fighting off some kind of uh, post-holiday plague here. So battling um, through it, man. You're a team <laughs> player. You're Noah Mari Cooper sitting on the sideline. <laughs> you're, you're playing through it. Wasted no time going after Amari. Man, he's he's. We had a lot of players kind of let us down, um, ran, pretty randomly. And uh, we also had some players kind of step up as the, the heroes that they are and that they should have been all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alvin Kamara, I'm looking at you. So I, in in my home league, which is also pretty big money, and it's also just a league that I always really want to win because I, I, I don't like very many of the people I play with. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're kind of condescending. <laughs> Uh, I had a guy, um, one of the guys in that league, uh, um, tell me that I don't know what I'm doing. Um, it, yeah, you know, despite the fact that I call myself an expert, which by the way, I don't call him, I don't consider myself an expert. I don't, I, I, if, if other analysts want to call themselves experts, I feel like they're free to do it. 
but I feel like we are so bad at predicting what you know what a player is going to do on a week in week out basis, much less you know a, a season to season basis. I I don't feel like I. I, I don't feel comfortable calling myself an expert when I'm wrong, you know, roughly half the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. An expert with 50% hit rate is pretty good in our, in our industry. And, uh, and yeah, calling yourself an expert, that's like being an expert weatherman. Right. I mean, yeah. You just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and I mean they're they're even better at what they do than we are usually. Well, I the weatherman out here, I all right. Well we'll I'll keep <laughs> that to you, I suppose. All right. <laughs> I uh, although I will say I I feel like fantasy football uh players and analysts are first of all, I, I mean smarter than football fans have ever been at any point in the history of this sport right now the greatest minds in football are playing and analyzing fantasy football. And I actually think that we know fantasy, we, that we know the game of football. Like and when I say we, uh, it's kind of the collective, this entire dynasty football, fantasy football community. I think we know it better than a lot of quote unquote football guys. You know, the people who are getting front office jobs on NFL teams and the, and the people who are actually on NFL coaching staffs, the people who are calling the games, the both the the broadcasters and you know the the play by play and the color guys, I think we know football better than they do. I, I and we see evidence of this on a regular basis. But I still, I, I all that being said, I don't consider myself an expert. He was just being passive aggressive by by telling me that you know it, it, I my team should be better. If I'm, you know, as an expert, uh, that was just this past, um, that was in the off season, uh, last year. And, um, since then I went on to win that championship nice, and <laughs> get to rub his nose in it. And, uh, so it's an awfully good feeling, but, uh, that league, I, um, so, you know, just to we won't go over it too much because, you know, as as they always say, you're the only one who cares about your fantasy team. But I, I you know, I think that there's some relevance here. So, first of all, in the offseason, I traded away Sam Darnold and Jarek McKinnon and got back Lamar Jackson. Um, our guy Stompy was just so high on Lamar Jackson that I was like, I've got to get in on this. I don't know if I agree with him, but I've got to. I've got to at least get a piece of this. And at the time I made the trade, Stompy actually said he felt like I overpaid. Uh, I think that now he would, <laughs> he, he, he would finally, he would admit that that was uh, an excellent trade. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I, I took the approach that I talk about every year around this time when we start doing startups, I built around quarterbacks that particularly has a quarterback max. You can only have four quarterbacks on roster, not counting IR and taxi. And, um, but I built around quarterbacks. I, I went young. I even handcuffed my quarterbacks uh, in the startup. So I started off with, you know, Tyrod Taylor backing up Baker Mayfield. Uh, well, it started off other way around at first, but, uh, and I, you know, and I had Sam Darnold and Josh McCown together. I had Aaron Rodgers. 
and uh and then i have marcus Mariota, and yeah i made some trades lamar jackson ends up on my roster and uh um still had aaron Rodgers, still have baker mayfield and i actually made a trade where i landed drew Locke. so now all of a sudden the, the quarterback position is looking pretty strong uh so I, I I built around the quarterbacks. I built around wide receivers, you know, Beckham, Amari Cooper, Tyler Lockett, uh, and then started putting it together with the running backs. And I found some in this in this uh, the startup draft, like uh, Chris Carson and Austin Eckler. Um, I made some trades where I landed Alvin Kamara, um, and uh, and so that that's uh, where I was going with that too. Even though I, Amari Cooper, nice. yeah. Amari Cooper let me down. Um, I benched Tyler Lockett at the last minute and put in Calvin Kamara. Mm -hmm. And literally seconds before my roster locked, I made that move. And it made the difference. Tinkering can help sometimes. Tinkering can help. That's the lesson here. Yeah. It's, It's something that I hate to do until I get to the fantasy playoffs. I, I like to set my lineup. I don't know about you, but I I really like to set my lineup on Saturday and then just not even look at it again until Monday night. I am terrible. I like to play mind games with my opponents normally. So what I'll do is traditionally I'll set my lineup before the Thursday game. Mm-hmm. And then I will go back at like five minutes before, before the early kickoffs and totally change my lineup around to the way I wanted it to begin with and submit it. So, yeah, then then my opponent starts thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe it. They're not going to play this guy. And then all of a sudden they look and they update it and they're all upset <laughs> because I played the guys that they thought I was actually going to bench. So um, I, I don't know. It probably does nothing. But uh, but I've had people do it to me before and it, like, deflates me, you know. So I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I get in my head, too, and I, I'm like, man, you know, he's not going to play this guy. Maybe I'll play this quarterback because, you know, he's not going to play the receiver in the tight end. Uh, maybe I'll play Mahomes, you know, obviously you would more more times than not play Mahomes. But in this instance, we'll, we'll just say maybe, maybe I'll uh, I'll actually play Mahomes if he's not going to play Kelsey and, and Tyreek Hill, you know, if they're on his bench. And then, you know, like two minutes before kickoff, they update <laughs> it and those guys are in, in the lineup and he's, oh, man, you know, so stuff like that. You know, I've, I've had people do that to me and sometimes it kind of gets to me. So um, I, I, I'm that guy. I decide to be that guy a lot of times, John. <laughs> nice. I mean, there's something to be said for playing the, the psychology side of this because there's a lot of fantasy football that's very psychological. And there is. There is yeah. Yeah. That actually kind of segues into what we loosely wanted to be our topic tonight. Um, you know, we, so first of all, I mean, the, the big thing was we haven't had an episode since week 16, uh, but prior to week 16 in your fantasy championships, we had that live episode with some star sits, um, you know, featuring, uh, Stompy and Ethan, uh, and um, did you make it on that one? I, I actually don't remember now. I did not. No, I did not, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a, those two. Um, but talking injuries, talking start sits, uh, hopefully helped everybody get ready for the, uh, you know, for the Saturday and Sunday slates and uh, hopefully help deliver some championships. 
I think um, they did. They did really well. Uh, a lot of the advice they gave out, and Ethan was really on top of the injuries too. I think, I think uh, if if people listened, they they got help from those two. Um, so I'm glad I didn't go in there and mess that up and join them and uh, and totally throw curveballs to everyone. So uh, <laughs> I, th- I think they did well. If you listen to Stompy and Ethan, I think uh, you probably are very pleased uh, after after week 16 after your championships. Yeah, yeah. When they're not here to to get a big head about this i i'm happy to admit that like that's an excellent combo when it comes to setting a lineup and navigating injuries that's that's about as good as it gets right there with those two guys yeah absolutely and and the good thing is they don't listen back to these when they're not on them you know because yeah. they're all about themselves so we don't have right. to we don't have to worry about them hearing this so it's fine yeah compliment which yeah yeah, it's interesting that when I know Stompy's not going to listen, I choose to compliment him. I, it seems like it should be the other way around. I could, I could safely just, just light him up right now, and he'll never know the difference. Yeah, but you, you know, if if you can't compliment him, you know, when he's on, because you'll you'll either inflate inflate his his ego, which I mean, he doesn't need after I mean the last two years going to bat for Patrick Mahomes and having him put up the numbers he did last year and then going to bat for Lamar Jackson before this season. And then Lamar Jackson was like the MVP and puts up the numbers he did. Like, you don't, we don't need to, to inflate his ego anymore. So we have to, we have to keep him in check. You know, we got to keep him hungry. So we kind of have to have to compliment him when he's not listening. You know, I think that's for his own good. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. So, uh, but yeah, this is our first episode since then. And um, first episode of the non-point scoring season, um, we're going to actually turn around and do another another one uh, Monday so that you've got double episodes to, to listen to through the New Year's holiday. Uh, and uh, we've got a special guest coming on for that one as well. So, um, you know, we'll uh, we'll have we'll get into uh, start to work into you know, what's ultimately going to be our non-point scoring season format. Um, But we wanted to sneak in one episode here. uh, And James, you're, you're kind of the perfect person to talk to for this. This is what's so interesting about the super show is, is we've got some, we've definitely got some lanes, you know, I mean, we've got good analysts across the board, Um, but we, we have guys right now who who have kind of some specialties and um you know among your specialties is is the devi stuff you know you you stay very much on top of what's going on in college football and what it's going to mean for the nfl with the incoming rookie classes i just ran four mock drafts and um, to develop some ADP for Superflex Dynasty startups, and uh, you you can find some of this ADP. It's not on uh, DynastyLeagueFootball.com. It's not going to give you the complete ADP uh, that that we acquired here. And here's why: because in the in these four mock drafts, I also included 2020 rookie picks. So to make this look like what your actual Superflex dynasty startups are going to look like if you start doing a, a superflex. If you join a new league, you join a new superflex dynasty league. This is what this draft is going to look like. Now, this is a snake draft, not an auction. 
Um, I, I still prefer auctions and we're going to have to talk about those throughout the off season as well. But uh, so this includes uh, those rookie picks that are going to be available to you to draft. So, you know, for instance, 2020 rookie pick 1.01 is going to be available for you to draft in your, in your startup drafts right now. Those picks, you won't be able to find those on DynastyLeagueFootball.com. Uh, I am going to do a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write an article that will be available at DynastyLeagueFootball.com that discusses these picks and where they all went. But uh, we also want, I wanted to take a little bit of time here to to actually talk through this, particularly with, with somebody who's pretty well versed in what the rookie class is going to look like. And help me make sense of these values because James, I got to be honest, man. It feels like these rookie picks are going to me, anyways, going way too early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't wait to to discuss this with you because it's there's a lot of interesting data here. So, um, yeah, and I can't wait for that article to come out, also, John, that you're going to be writing over for uh, for DLF because I think you can take a deeper dive into some of these uh, some some of the interesting um, takeaways uh, from this this uh the, the mocks that you ran and the uh the adp information you gathered so um this this is really interesting it's going to be fun for us to talk about i'm ready to dive in man nice let's get to it and and again you know this this can be a pretty loose uh format here this doesn't have to be you know we're we're definitely not going off a script here um we're definitely not going to shy away from having actual player value and pick value you know, conversations just for the sake of getting all the way through this startup draft. That's what the article is going to be for. This is this is going to be an opportunity for us to to kind of put some of these under the microscope a little bit and just kind of discuss overall values right at the moment. So let's jump in. Uh, the first round of the draft, um, no rookie picks went. Um, kind of the the probably the more uh, notable things that happen. First of all, Christian McCaffrey becomes the consensus 1.01 in a super flex dynasty startup. <laughs> mm. uh, I don't like that. I don't like that for several reasons. To me, if you're going to take a running back, it's still Saquon Barkley. It's not Christian McCaffrey. We've talked about that and in a previous episode. So I won't beat a dead horse here, but I, I don't like that. But um, to me, quarterback should be the first pick. And to be to me, Pat Mahomes is still the, the number one quarterback. Yeah, we agree there. Uh, Lamar Jackson, the other thing that I thought was interesting, Lamar Jackson becomes uh, the quarterback two overall. And in fact, in one of the four mock drafts, he went ahead of Pat Mahomes. I don't like that. <laughs> no, uh, I I don't know that I agree. I I'm curious what you think. I I don't I don't really agree with Lamar Jackson being the quarterback too. You know, it's interesting. My rankings are over on uh, DynastyLeagueFootball.com uh, at DOF. So my rankings, I have it, looking at this ADP information. My top four are the same top four that uh, the ADP reflects in the same order. Uh, so I can't say much. I mean, I have Lamar Jackson as my QB two, um, you know, in my rankings. Uh, I think that's where he should be. 
Um, he's young enough. He's athletic enough. I love everything that they're doing in Baltimore. And I think they could do so much more. They can really be innovative and continue to grow his role in the passing game and in the running game. Um, so I, I like Lamar Jackson an awful lot. I do expect regression. I think we talked about that with Mahomes too. But uh, even with some regression, I still think Lamar Jackson can be uh, the dynasty quarterback too. So to me, he's number two, but uh, I, I understand there are arguments against it. And if the regression comes back to to the means, I mean, we've we've really – uh, seen one really, really good season from Lamar Jackson. And then, you know, his his first season, we saw some holes in his game. You know, if uh, if he comes back down to earth, you know, and and, uh, and and really plummets, you know, which which we've seen. We've seen that he can struggle at certain times, um, especially his, you know, his first year, his rookie year. Um, you know, I, I understand that there's an argument to be made. There's health concerns, you know, if he's going to take hits, if he's going to run as much, that sort of thing. Um, so there are concerns, and I understand uh, a lot of the concerns that people have. I just think that his upside um, is, is so great that I, I feel comfortable with him as quarterback, too. Yeah, I, I I totally get it, and I don't even necessarily disagree with that part. I My... My concern is, I mean, so we all know that regression's coming. I, I've certainly seen some numbers saying, you know, he if he if he even throws touchdowns at a at an average rate, you know, uh, as opposed to the nine percent touchdown rate that he had this season, which is you know obviously an outlier number. You know, e- even if that number drops down to the league average, which is you know just under five percent. He's still throwing, you know, something like 19 touchdown passes. And then some of those probably turn into rushing touchdowns as well. And it's, you know, he still finishes as the QB one in that scenario. The problem is we said all the same stuff about Pat Mahomes. Now, part of the problem for Pat Mahomes, obviously, he did miss some time um, with the, the dislocated kneecap. But we also saw some really bad games from him. You know, it, it wasn't just regression to the mean. It was like regression beyond, well beyond the mean, where he's throwing, you know, sometimes he he was usually still in the neighborhood of 300 yards passing, but there were times where he threw, you know, one touchdown, zero touchdowns, and it's like this this is not what we talked about his regression looking like. You know, we we weren't really talking about the worst case scenario for Pat Mahomes. And I don't think we're doing it with Lamar Jackson either. I'm worried about what the worst case scenario could be. Uh, all that said, I'm, I'm, I don't think that I could rank him any lower than four. I think that this, and this is going to be tough, especially since I've had this argument uh, throughout the season, I think I'm going to rank him ahead of Aaron Rodgers. But I, I, I don't know that I could put him ahead of I, I can't put him ahead of Deshaun Watson based on off of just one season. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I can put him ahead of Russell Wilson. Yeah. And then just, you know, for people who can't see the data, those are the top four uh, in ADP um, from the information that you gathered uh, running these uh, these mocks over uh, for DynastyWeekFootball.com. And you're, this time you added the uh, the rookie picks in, but those are the top four quarterbacks in ADP. Those That's the, the order I have them in. Um, I don't have too much of an issue with anybody who wants to place Watson over Lamar Jackson. Russell Wilson is 
he does so much with so little. Um, he, he really is fantastic. The only, the only knock against Russell Wilson is, you know, they run the ball so much. And Chris Carson is so good that it makes me wonder you know, what the ce- uh, what the ceiling is with Russell Wilson. Um, it's not as high as Lamar Jackson's, in my opinion. Um, Lamar Jackson's is probably higher just because of the offense that they run. I think Russell Wilson is going to depend on the running game and Chris Carson. Uh, Lamar Jackson is such a big part of the, the Baltimore running game that I think his ceiling is a little higher. But uh, I, I don't take issue with anybody who would take Russell Wilson over Lamar Jackson. I think I think there's a tear break after those four for me. Um so I, I, I'm okay with those four kind of being in the, in the same conversation. Um, I do think Mahomes is, is the number one, though. I, I, I would probably take a little bit of an issue with anybody who would put, you know, any of these guys over Mahomes. Um, other than that, though, I think the rest, you know, two through four uh, are, are pretty much, I mean, for me, uh, I, I could definitely see anybody taking one or the other over the, you know, the other two. Yeah, I... I... I agree with all that for sure. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, that's the tier for sure. And yeah, Mahomes for me is, is not only quarterback one, but 1.01 in a super flex startup. Uh, yeah, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, those are the only other quarterbacks here. So that's quarterbacks five and six, respectively. Those are the only other quarterbacks to go ahead of pick 1.01 in a consensus. So, uh, in the consensus, uh, pick 1.01, rookie pick 1.01, which in in a super flex, you and I are going to have to discuss this in just a second. But um, so it went uh, 212 overall. So, the very last pick of the second round. Um, So, basically, uh, the the person who had 1.01 and took Christian McCaffrey would have when it snaked back to him would have taken uh rookie pick 1.01 and that's what their roster would have started with after after one round Christian McCaffrey and rookie pick 1.01 uh so 1.01 went ahead of or went immediately after Amari Cooper, Odell Beckham Jr and Josh Jacobs and immediately ahead of DJ Moore, Carson Wentz, Leonard Fournette, George Kittle. Uh, so he, I, I think here's what I want to ask you. Here's here's how I want to frame this. We're gonna do these on a, a confidence scale from the from a on a scale of one to five, with one being you know very little confidence to five being supremely confident. So my first question to you is, uh, in in a, a super flex rookie draft, on a scale of one to five, how confident are you that 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 one point oh one is going to end up being consensus is going to be a, a quarterback? Ooh, that's the see now that's interesting. Um consensus is interesting because I think more than six should go in the top 24 picks. Um, I I think eight to nine should go in the top 24 picks personally, maybe even more. Um, But if only six go, then I'm not very confident that consensus is going to say this is a quarterback. I guess I would say it's a three for me. Um, 
the number one quarterback in the class could be the guy, you know, to, to go there. But um, it wouldn't shock me if it's a position player. It really wouldn't um, just because I, I don't think a lot of people value the quarterback position as highly as they should in Superflex. Um, so I'm going to give that a three first off. And, and next, I, I kind of want to address a few things here. So sure. first, first of all, with this, with this pick, I, I think it's important because there's a lot of startups that you're going to do that are going to have the picks in there just like this. You know, you're going to be able to draft the 1.01, the 1.02 in the rookie draft. Um, you know, there are going to be leagues that are going to start before the draft, you know, the NFL draft, before the rookie draft, you know, and this is how you're going to draft. And I think if that's the case, the first thing you have to realize is when you're drafting that pick, you cannot, the most important thing to me, you cannot have a player locked in that you are going for. You can't put a player there because you you have to be fluid. You know, you, you, I love Jonathan Taylor. Everyone knows my I, I, I think Jonathan Taylor is the best running back in the class. I, if I drafted this 1.01 and said, well, now I know I'm going to get Jonathan Taylor. And he ends up being the consensus like 1.5 in the rookie draft. That It's silly for me to take that. At, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. You just don't, you don't lock yourself into it. You have to make sure that you're going to be fluid. And if you're taking that pick, you're going to approach it with, I'm going to take the best player available type of mentality. Um, so to me, that's, that's really important. If you're going to do this, if you're going to evaluate this, um, second of all, for me, John, as far as where it's valued I, at first, when you said that, you know, when, when I looked at this, I realized it was the last pick in the second round, um, was the 1.01 rookie. And I thought, man, that's, that's too soon. That's too soon. I wouldn't take it that early. My problem though, is John, is I look at the players that went after it, Mm -hmm. Man, I don't know outside. DJ Moore is a, a guy that I probably would take over that pick. But Carson Wentz, Leonard Floyd, George Kittle. I mean, I don't love taking tight ends early. Um, I'm not. Leonard Fournette scares me. I'm not a Carson Wentz believer. I, when I look at the guys that are going behind him, I I don't know that I would take any of them over the 1.01 because to me, the 1.01 is, is you know, more more than likely for me, if I was drafting it, it would be a quarterback. Um, just because I think that the there's a good chance that a quarterback is going to go 1.01 in in the NFL draft. It's going to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, um, and I think that there's two quarterbacks that are that I have ranked higher coming out of college than I had Kyler Murray ranked or any quarterback ranked in last year's class, and that's Tua Tagovailoa and Joe Burrow. Um, so if I could land one of those guys, I think their value is going to be right around there. So. As far as the value goes, John, I actually don't mind where this 1.01 is going, which is not something I would have thought I would have said um, if you told me it was going 24 and I didn't see the players that were going around that pick. Really? Okay. I mean, so in, in to be fair here, DJ Moore, first of all, I mean, there's virtually no difference between 212 and 301, you know? In a, in a startup draft, it's a snake draft. Those both end up on the same roster. So you're, you're kind of saying, you know, all, all we're saying here is which per, which player got drafted first by that, you know, how did, how did that GM have it queued up essentially? Uh, and in fact, DJ Moore went ahead of uh, pick one Oh one in three of the four mock drafts. It's just in that fourth mock. 101 went super early. DJ Moore went super late. And it led to um, an, enough of a discrepancy that DJ Moore 
has a, has a one spot lower ADP uh, than, than 101. So, you know, if we, so I, I think that we could really kind of just call that one a wash. DJ Moore, 1.01, you know, basically equal at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, and, you know, the more I look at this, John, the more I, I, I realize me, maybe it's because I, I have more of a problem with where Kyler Murray and Josh Jacobs went here. Kyler Murray being drafted as a top five quarterback, you're drafting him at his ceiling, you know, at his, his highest potential. We saw that with Baker Mayfield last year and we cautioned people against it and what kind of what happened this year. So um, to me, you know, early Kyler Murray's the guy that I wouldn't be taking over Dak or, or Wentz or, you know, other guys like Aaron Rodgers, Baker Mayfield. I, I would take all those guys over Kyler Murray just so I, maybe I have an issue with where he's going. And then Josh Jacobs as well. I, I think Josh Jacobs had a pretty decent year, but he's still in, uh, on the Oakland Raiders. I don't know know what's going to happen with that team and I could make a very good argument that the 1.01 if that's a running back this year um is is going to be a more talented player than Josh Jacobs so I I guess to me that's part of it is I'm valuing where it's going based on the surrounding players that went before and after it and and that's why I don't have an issue with it however man I still don't know that I could pull the trigger at number 24 if that makes sense yeah. Yeah, it does. And, and I actually I, I fully agree with that. I mean, I think I have, you know, slightly different reasons, but um, I, I ultimately, again, it, this just feels too early for me. And I, I mean, part of the reason is, you know, like you you, you just stated that, you know, it, it you need to be fluid with those rookie picks because we don't know how this is going to line up like the the NFL rook the NFL draft is where this is going to be determined you know their consensus value isn't going to be determined until April late April so you know again if you were thinking in terms of yeah that pick equals Jonathan Taylor for sure or you know so there there are a lot of people who are saying Joe Burrow is going to be you know rookie pick 1.01 which, you know, that that one seems the most plausible. Cincinnati Bengals hold 1.01 in the NFL draft. They have a need at quarterback. Joe Burrow looks to be the best quarterback in the class, at, at least among those who are actually healthy. So, you know, he's certainly a safer pick than Tua. So, you know, it, it stands to reason that Joe Burrow likely lands at 1.01. Here's the problem, though. Is this is a it, it it's a startup draft, which is a totally different thing. You know, if we were year two, year three of this super flex dynasty, and you have one point oh one, and you know by then you you've kind of established what the needs of your team are, and in fact, if you're doing it right, you've got your quarterback depth, you've got your wide receivers. You know, you're you're young and lean at wide receiver. You've got all the quarterbacks you could possibly need. And, you know, now it's just a matter of adding in those running backs. Now 1.01 has a lot more value because, you know, you could stand pat and, you know, if, if Joe Burrow ends up being the consensus 1.01, then you trade that pick, move back, um, you know, trade it to a team that needs a quarterback and you move back a little bit. And then from there, you can still get the running backs that you need. You know, the 
Um, and, and it's going to be a deep enough class that you can move back several spots and you're still going to end up with a, with a running back that, you know, makes sense for your roster. If you don't have to have that quarterback, then that pick has added value just because of the fact that somebody's going to need a quarterback. Somebody's going to have to take Joe Burrow and they're going to have to make sure that they get Joe Burrow because that's their last chance to get a quarterback. I think what you're saying is interesting too, as, as roster construction goes and roster configuration, because yeah. when you take a pick like that, if you're going to treat it fluidly, then you may be, I mean, it, the 1.01 may end up being, you know, the, the player that, uh, that, you know, with the landing spot that you like, and that is the consensus 1.01 could end up being in a position that you don't have a need at. You know, so then all of a sudden, you know, where's its value at? Is that is that pick being valued, you know, where you took it or is it is it being valued less than or more than that? You know, do you want to do you want to deal that or then what do you what do you do? So um, that's something to keep in mind, too, because you may end up having to to take a player at a position that you're already strong at, which is OK. You know, if you if, if you don't think the value is there to move that pick and the best player available is at a at a you know, position of strength, you might have to take that in the rookie draft. Um, and, you know, it might weave you light in other areas that, uh, that you were expecting, you know, if you're, if you were expecting that that pick was going to be a quarterback and you started actually building around, you know, Hey, I'm going to take a quarterback there. And then it just doesn't pan out. Well, you know, you kind of have to weigh that risk too, when you're taking that pick, um, that, you know, it's, it's going to be harder for you to construct your roster when you're taking a pick that early in the first two rounds um, instead of a player. And you don't even know what position that pick is going to be for sure. Uh, you know, really exactly. kind of you a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. When you take the 1.01 in the second round, it creates the illusion of that fluidity that you're talking about. You know, you feel like that pick can be anything. I pick, I can come out of this startup without, you know, regardless, wherever my, whatever I need, I use the 1.01 on that. Well, that, I mean, that's still, that's still, you know, hamstringing you. It's still putting you in a position where you're going to have to address a position of need with that pick, you know, with that rookie pick. So yeah, why not, why not? address the position of need with the startup pick rather than with the rookie pick. And that's just it. That's just it, John. That's where you can't go. Like you can't, if you're going to take that pick, you have to commit to taking the best player, the, the 1.01, the, the guy who is the best player, regardless of position, you can't, you, you can't address it and go, well, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm going to take that, this position a need, you know, whoever the best player is at this position, you really have to, you, you can't do it that way. That's, that's something I'm going to preach to people. If, if you do something like this, if you have a draft that has these picks in it, make sure you're not marrying yourself to a, to a certain position uh, or, or any certain player, you know, make sure that you're fluid with that. And, and uh, you know, it, whether you have to deal the pick, you know, if you really feel like you're not going to be competitive this year um, because, of the position you're looking at taking in the rookie draft, you know, if you can deal it and you get good value for it, if not, you have to take the best player available. Make sure you're not handcuffing yourself anymore just by forcing yourself to take a position or a certain player. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the whole, I, I guess the bottom line here is uh, in, you know, not to totally kill the conversation just yet. I, I don't think this is actually going to do that, but, the reality is 
in a startup draft, the only reason, the only way it makes sense to draft rookie picks is if you're taking a, a youth movement approach to the startup. And if you're going to do that, so if you're, you know, back to this ADP where the, you know, the team with the startup 101 and startup 212 and 301 starts off with Christian McCaffrey and then the rookie pick. I mean, there's a chance that that, that rookie pick, if you're, if you're drafting the way that you're saying to, you know, you're, you're going best player available, you're going for value. Our good friend Dynasty Outhouse always says, and I love this, he says, draft for value, trade for need. You know, and and it's no different when you're drafting a rookie pick. You're still, you still want to draft that pick, first of all, based on its trade value. And second of all, based on the idea that when the rookie draft comes along, you're going to use that pick for value, not for need. And 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 it's man, it's really hard to to take that many steps back in your startup draft and think of it that way. But the only way that it makes sense is if you've got young players on your roster who are going to, to, you know, hold their value for a significant amount of time. I know I get that Christian McCaffrey is still a young player. I get that he's had, you know, amazing productivity over the last, uh, the last two years. And because of that, he does have value. I will say that. I mean, you're you're getting quite a bit of value on your roster if you start off with Christian McCaffrey in 1.01, but you're also hurting your ability. You're you're taking away your own leverage in trades based on the fact that you've got that inefficiency. Now you've got this player in Christian McCaffrey who's not going, likely not going to be around, you know, to see. Uh, uh, Joe Burrow, if that's who you end up taking with that 101, he's Christian McCaffrey's not going to be around to see Joe Burrow in in his breakout. I, 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 Christian McCaffrey will still be around. He's not going to be at his peak anymore. Mm-hmm. When yeah. when you know because it's likely going to take a, a a year or two for Joe Burrow to fully grasp the the NFL game, especially that Zach Taylor system. You know, it's it's complex, and we've seen that with L.A. Rams. It, it takes a little bit of time for that to develop. So, I, Real quick, John, I, I think yeah. what's interesting here with the 1.012 is that the uncertainty with Tua is, is really looms large here because the 1.01 to me is going to have value because Joe Burrow, I think – and again, this is just speculation. It's early. We don't know what's going on with Tua. But I, I think that's going to be it, is we're not going to know, you know, any of the red flags health-wise for Tua uh, for, for a while. So once the combine kind of comes out, once it's kind of rumored what's going on and who's going to take who, I think that 1.01 is going to – it has a really – and I don't know, but I think it has a, a really good chance of maintaining its value because – Quarterbacks are so valuable in Superflex, and I think Joe Burrow is going to be the consensus number one um, the closer we get to draft. Just because there's going to be questions about Tua's, uh, you know, medicals um, and that sort of thing. And and outside of that, Justin Herbert, is, is he's not in the same class as those two. Um, so to me, there could be an illusion of Joe Burrow is the 1.01, and there's a pretty pretty big gap back to the next quarterback taken. And I think that could create 
um, some some inflated value for the 1.01. And really, the, the more film I watch, the more I think Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa are, are – I had Burrow as my 1.01 before the injury. I think it's it, they're both really good. I mean, I, they're 1A and 1B to me. Um, so if the medicals do come back on Tua that they're good, um, you know, you, you – that 1.02 could have value that uh, could end up having having a lot of value that I don't think it's going to have in these in these drafts. Um, so really interesting when you just look at the quarterbacks here and what that can do to the value of any of these picks. I think throughout the uh, the course of this offseason with Tua not being able to do a whole lot because of the injury and because of the medical questions, Joe Burrow's name is going to be brought up an awful lot. And I think um, with, with that being said, a lot of people are going to inflate his value and that may inflate the value of the 1.01 overall. So to me, that's that's part of the reason why I don't think it's as risky going where it is, is looking at the class, looking at the quarterback position in particular, and knowing that there there could be um, a pretty big gap between him and, and the rest of the field, um, just kind of perceived on the medicals and, and everything else. Well, that kind of helps us segue a little bit uh, because I was stuck in a little bit of a cycle there, <laughs> just, just uh, of over-explaining uh, value in startup drafts versus, you know, in a, in a, uh, year and plus league. Uh, yeah, but that's, that's really important. I mean, that, that's something not to gloss over. So it's good that we go into that in some yeah. pretty good detail. And it, and it's something that we're going to, we're definitely going to stay on top of throughout this non-point scoring season, but, um, we'll get to one Oh two here in a second, but I want to get back to my confidence scale with you, because this is another question I wanted to ask. You, you kind of danced around it a little bit here, so I'm going to actually like straight up ask you here. On a scale of one to five, on our confidence scale, how confident are you that Joe Burrow is ultimately going to be the better quarterback than Tua? Oh, man. Um, I'd give it a one. I'm, I'm not confident at all. I, I, I do think that Burrow can, can be a better quarterback. I think it's all going to be about system landing spot. I mean, those two are very close Tua uh, has a different skill set. And the more I watch him, you know, I, I really felt like when I had watched him live uh, before watching his game tape, I thought the receivers kind of, kind of really bailed him out a lot. Um, and I, I don't think that's the case anymore. The more I watched him on tape, the more I watched his fundamentals and everything. Um, you know, I've watched nine games in the past two years now on him, and uh, I, I feel pretty confident that he's he's a very good quarterback. I saw a lot of what a lot of other people saw. I, I do think Burrow is very good, too. I think he there are some things that he does better than Tua. Um, you know, his, his touch, uh, he puts tremendous amount of touch on, on the ball when he needs to, which is really nice. But uh, there, there are a few other things that he really excels at, too, and that he does very well. Um, but uh, but I'm not all that confident because it's really going to depend on system, landing spot, supporting cast, coaching, all that stuff is is because I think these guys are both very close. Um, but I tell you this, I, I would give you a five that those two quarterbacks will be the best two quarterbacks in this draft. OK, uh, yeah, um, man, that brought up a million, a million different questions for it. Just that little that little bomb that you dropped at the end, um, even though I, I, I don't think it was all that uh, incendiary of a comment. Um, it definitely makes me wonder how they stack up against kind of the rest of the, the rookie class. Um, but, you know, I, just to I, I, 
I'm also curious with Tua, and and I don't even know where to find this answer, you know, honestly, because as much as I said at the top of the show that I think fantasy football players and analysts generally know the the game better than the you know quote unquote football guys who are down on the sidelines every single game. I I there are still some blind spots for us. And sometimes we pretend to know the answer to this when we really don't. Um, I think the real question would be for, um, you know, some of the the offensive line coaches, uh, offensive tackles who have, you know, played the position for a, a significant amount of time. Um, and probably some of those who have actually had this experience. But I'm curious about the fact that Tua throws left-handed. I'm curious what that means on for for a few different reasons. And and I th- I think that we might downplay this a little bit. I I think it's a bigger deal than than what we know. And John, it's actually very very funny that you bring this up when when we had uh when Stompy and I had uh had our guest on uh which is uh which was Ray um our, our guy over at uh Ray the- Garvin. Yeah. Yeah, Ray Garvin. Um uh, it, I, I brought this up as a concern, and and uh, and Ray Ray was uh, was pretty pretty adamant that hey, you look there. There's an adjustment that receivers have to make to it, but yeah. really the offensive line too is is interesting because your right tackle essentially becomes your left tackle. Yeah. He's blocking the blind, blind side of the quarterback. Um, the good thing about it is is that traditionally a lot of a lot of the elite pass rushers they kind of put on the other side. You know, they want them coming off the blind side, so it, it does do something to the defense as well. Um, it, it, it's interesting, I, I, you know, uh, for recruiting purposes, it's hard to get somebody who wants to come over there and play, uh, you know, right tackle um, there because, you know, they, they don't generally project as left tackles in, in the league um, because they're, you know, and, and so it, it, it there's that. So that's interesting, too. Um, I do think there is an adjustment. I do think that there is, you know, that's something for NFL teams are going to have to think about, you know, how their tackle situation, you know, winds up. Um, But if you, you know, it's going to be interesting because it depends on the team too. You know, I mean, we're, we're going to look at, uh, at some of the teams that, that need quarterbacks and, you know, maybe their right tackle position is better than their left, left tackle position. Um, That, that might really help to have a left-handed quarterback in there that might solve some of their their protection problems in the passing game too so uh you know it could work both ways i definitely think it's something that uh that is is a little bit different and and you know it would take an off season to really kind of make sure that everybody you know understands the difference um you know they're uh you know the ball releases different too it's spinning in a different direction receivers are going to have to get used to it so i do think that there's going to be an adjustment period i just don't know and that's going to be enough to keep GMs away. Um, but I do think that there may be an adjustment period. You might see Tua have to, or the rest of the team really adjust to Tua, uh, you know, through the course of, of a full season, you know. So you might not uh, see, a, you know, in a week, you know, first season from Tua until the team kind of kind of understands what's going on. But uh, but it's it, it will, will be interesting to kind of monitor because, you uh, you know, how, how are teams going to defend against that too? Uh, so there's a lot to take into consideration when it comes to a left-handed quarterback. So uh, I guess the, the short, short answer is I don't think it's going to affect to his draft stock. Um, but I do think that you're right. There's, 
you, you know, there's there's adjustments that have to be made, and they're they're a little bit they're, they're not as subtle as people are going to think. Uh, you know, they're they're going to be semi drastic, but at the same time, I think it could wind up for the right team when the right coaching staff that knows what they're doing. It could wind up to being a benefit for them um, right away in the short term too. Yeah, it could work out pretty well for the for the Miami Dolphins, for instance, having just completely, I mean, by trading away Laramie Tunsil, they they really kind of cleared the deck on the offensive line. So that's, you know, the fact that, the, that your offensive line gets flipped. I mean, you can, w- when you have to rebuild that offensive line anyways, I mean, you can certainly prioritize re- right tackle as opposed to left tackle. Mm-hmm. Easier um, to, to find right the, tackles, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So the I guess the only problem there, and it's it's kind of too bad that there isn't an NFL team playing in the Southern Hemisphere, like in Australia or something, to counteract <laughs> that spin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, <laughs> that that might be an interesting way to to kind of counteract that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wonder what would happen there. That's like that's actually kind of that's got my my mind a little bit paralyzed thinking about <laughs> the spin of a football like. I, I like how does it spin then I, does it just not spin anymore is it just kind of a a knuckleball below the equator I, I, yeah I like he, like he's still flipping it the same way but like <laughs> it stops spinning that way and starts spinning the opposite way you know yeah. like 10 yards down the field or something i, I have no idea yeah. yeah yeah oh man mind f um all right let, let me try and recover from that one and uh get to to 102 here so um, I back to our confidence scale real quick. I, I do. I decided I do want to ask you this. So you said that Joe Burrow and Tua, uh, these, those are the, the, for you, the number one and number two, like one, a one B quarterbacks in this class. And it's nobody else is real close to him. What about as far as the, just the overall field of players? Now we know that there are some very good running backs and we know that there's going to be some very good landing spots available uh you know beyond besides jonathan taylor you still have deandre swift you still have travis etienne um you might even have some other guys that you're particularly high on jk dobbins cam makers um you know there uh there's there's a handful of guys and it seems like people's rankings have really been pretty fluid with the running back group uh, the wide receivers, um, it, I mean, that one's changed a little bit over the course of this 2019 season. Uh, the one thing that hasn't changed is that Jerry Judy is still kind of the consensus top wide receiver for everybody. Um, CeeDee Lamb has kind of jumped up. Henry Ruggs has kind of jumped up. Um, LaVisca Chenault seems like he's kind of dropped a little bit. Uh, Brian, uh, Brian Edwards uh, seems like he's kind of dropped a little. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but I mean, there's it's still a strong group of wide receivers. It's still a st- strong group of running backs. So, on a scale of one to five, how confident are you that Joe Burrow and Tua are just the best fantasy assets um, out of this? Or going to prove to be the best fantasy assets out of this draft class? 
Yeah, that that's a great question. I I'm not all that. I would say a two. Uh, I, I I'm not all that confident that they're going to be the best fantasy assets. Here's the thing: in superflex, obviously, quarterback is is essential. You got You got to have two good quarterbacks if you're going to win. So. The just positional value is higher to me than than it is for the other players. However, it would not shock me if, you know, a couple years, you know, next year or, or the year after, we have a couple running backs that are going higher. I don't think long term they're going to be, you know, the, the assets that you're going to want to own. But there might be two, three, four seasons where some running backs kind of jump over those quarterbacks um, and they're the assets that you want to have. They're the players that you want to own. Um, that would not shock me. And it wouldn't shock me if some of the receivers end up in this class. Uh, maybe a receiver or two ends up kind of being valued similar to where these quarterbacks are going to be maybe a little bit higher. So uh, I, I'm not all that confident that that's going to happen, that both these guys are going to be the best fantasy assets out of this draft long-term. Um, I, I, I guess I think in the long haul, um, you know, over the course of season after season, I, I'm pretty confident that that, that would, be the case. Uh, however, year in and year out, I don't think that these guys are always going to be uh, the top two in this class um, as far as ADP goes, just because, again, I think some of these running backs are very, very good. Um, you know, you, you could have a guy who ends up having a season like Christian McCaffrey out of this class. It wouldn't shock me. And they're, you know, ranked for two, three seasons uh, higher than, than one or both of these quarterbacks. Um, so long term, I, I, I'm I would say that I, I'm pretty confident these quarterbacks will be um, the best assets in this draft fantasy wise. However, I would say year in and year out, uh, you know, if you're going to look at it year to year, I don't think I'm not confident at all that these two guys would, will be, you know, the top two assets year in and year out. So um, depends on how you want to approach it. Uh, I, I could, I could see it, you know, long-term working out for the best, but um, again, you, you know how running backs are, John, you know, if they, they're, they're uh, you know, they're, they're good for, they have a five, six year shelf life uh, where they're, where they're good, you know, really good. And they can put up running back one slash high end two numbers. And uh, I could see that being the case with these running backs and uh, in this class and a few of them being ranked over these guys uh, for a few years, at least. Yeah, and in I mean, usually the the shelf life is even less than that. Usually, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, two three years. Uh, mm -hmm. Four is usually kind of the max, and and especially once you get that top five running back season out of your running back, it's it it becomes pretty unlikely that they're going to do it again, um, just because of the amount of volume that it takes to get there. So you know the fact that. Christian McCaffrey finishes the running back two overall in 2018 and then the RB one overall, obviously in 2019, like those are those, that's a pretty big deal. That's, that's huge outlier numbers. And, uh, that's, that's a big part of my problem with him being the RB one going forward is the fact that he's already accomplished so much more than most running backs ever do that you know it, it it becomes so unlikely that you know that he's able to repeat anywhere close to that it, that's that's just where i i i'm hoping to stay away but um yeah. but so you know kind of back to to the context of the conversation it, it kind of it just drives us right back to what you were saying earlier about 
you know, you, you need to plan to be fluid with these rookie draft picks. And, you know, it, it kind of depends on the roster construction that you come out of this startup draft with. So, you know, if you take the 102 rather than a quarterback because you feel like, oh, I, I can get a better quarterback in uh, it, with Tua in my rookie draft, I'll take 102 um, rather than, you know, Josh Allen, because I think Tua is going to be a better quarterback than Josh Allen. And I'm just going to take him with 1.02. And then you come out of this draft, you, you know, the quarterbacks are falling to you and you're able to kind of put together, you know, a pretty good uh, stable of quarterbacks to where you don't necessarily need Tua. And, you know, you, maybe you, you put together some running backs as well. And, but now you need wide receiver help. Uh, you know, you're, you're not going to get the wide receiver help that you need with the second overall draft pick in your rookie, in your rookie draft. Yeah. As good as Jerry Judy is, he makes no sense on the roster of a contender. Yeah. Uh, Right. Right. So anyway, so 1.02 goes, uh, in the third round, uh, with the ninth overall pick, uh, the ninth pick of the third round. Um, so immediately ahead of it was Travis Kelsey, Aaron Jones, Kenny Galladay, and then uh, some of the guys that we talked about earlier. Um, and immediately after 1.02 goes Julio Jones. And then here are the ones that I actually have a problem with. Baker Mayfield, Aaron Rodgers, Cortland Sutton, Josh Allen. Some some of those are a pretty tough sell for me, James. I mean, I I know that Baker Mayfield didn't end up being what we had expected um, and, and what we had hoped in 2019. Uh, I, I mean, he still he was the the consensus rookie pick 1.01 just two years ago um, in a, you know, a pretty strong quarterback class. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, again, I, you know, I know he had a tough. A, a overall down season. He had some monster games, but he also had some very down games. He also had a very tough schedule. He had a first time offensive minded head coach bringing in a new system for the first time in Aaron Rodgers' career. He, uh, you know, they, they had a good defense and a good running game and they really leaned on that and it worked for him. It got him to the playoffs, you know, with a, with a pretty high seed. Um, they've locked up the NFC North, which looked like it was going to be the toughest division in football with Minnesota and Chicago there as well. So, you know, it there there is plenty of context behind the season that Aaron Rodgers just had. There's also reason to believe that both of those quarterbacks are going to bounce back in in 2020. Now, to what extent? I don't I don't necessarily know, um, but to say that a rookie, uh, you know, rookie Tua is that much better than either one of these guys is something that, you know, for, from, for me with limited insight into this rookie class, that's one that I'm going to have to defer to you because that feels like a stretch to me. I also don't like the fact that Cortland Sutton is going after 1.02. Uh, you know, not to not to sound like too much of a homer here, but 
you know, Cortland Sutton looks to me like a top five type dynasty wide receiver. Yeah. Um, and suddenly has a quarterback quarterback play to actually support that. Um, and, and then some of the other guys who went after uh, this pick, you know, it includes, you know, going a little bit farther down. But, you know, Jared Goff goes after that pick. Um, Cam Newton goes after that pick. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> I, I don't like it. And I'm, I'm wondering if, uh, you can, um, make that one make a little bit more sense to me. Well, John, I'm not even going to try. I don't <laughs> like <it either. laughs> um, okay. I, here, here's the thing. If, if I'm, if I'm approaching this as, look, I, this is a startup, um, I would rather try to win now with a guy like Julio or Aaron Rodgers. I mean, those are guys that I can build. I can try to win now and not, you know, have to worry about the future with those, with, with guys like that, assets like that. I know what I'm getting, I can bank on it. Um, and then you've got young guys like Baker Mayfield, Cortland Sutton and Josh Allen, who have proven that they can play in this league. The 1.02 doesn't come with near the security of the 1.01. Let's, let's kind of look at this. The 1.01, let's say Joe Burrow goes number one overall, which all signs indicate that he's he's likely to right as of right now um let's say he goes to cincinnati not a great situation right they didn't have a great year however he's got tyler boyd there he's got joe mixon there um you know they have an offensive lineman that they drafted that didn't play all year he'll he'll be back next year and you know things are looking okay i mean at, at that 1.01 you can get decent value at the 1.02 i mean there's question marks what if what if two his medical red flags come back and they're not great you know what if he plumped plummets down the draft because of it, you know, and, and, you know, he's not taken till, you know, 18, 20, 25, you know, says, you know, goes to new Orleans or something behind breeze. I, you know, I, there are several possibilities to where that 1.02 isn't as safe as it could be. You could be getting Deandre Swift there. If he goes to the Kansas city chiefs, that looks awesome, right? Deandre Swift could also end up going to the Miami dolphins. How awesome does that look? You know, like, uh, or, you know, the, the, the Jets move, you know, Le'Veon Bell or something. And, you know, now Adam Gase is the coach of, of Jonathan Taylor. You know, I, it just there are so many different things that could happen at that 1.02 that I don't think it's nearly as safe as the 1.01. Um, I think there's a pretty big gap between the two for me. If I as of right now, again, I, I don't think talent wise, there's a big gap between who you could take at 101 and 102. But the, the safety and security you have with that 1.01, I mean, you really – uh, you know, I if Burrow lands up in a terrible, maybe he's not the first quarterback taken. Maybe Herbert, uh, maybe Justin Herbert is. Maybe he outplays him at the combine, and you know he the wonder what comes back great, and people really just start digging into his film and like him better. And you go, man, you know, I'm not as sold on him now, you know, as I was. Um, you know, it, it's really easy to find a maybe DeAndre Swift's the guy who goes to Kansas City or Houston or Jonathan Taylor finds a good landing spot. I mean, there's a lot of safety with that 1.01 to find that one guy who ended up in the fantastic situation that he should flourish. Whereas the 1.02, I don't think is nearly as safe, especially when we look at the quarterbacks and what's what could happen um, and what is likely to happen. So, uh, yeah, I would take all those assets that are going after it. Um, Julio, Baker Mayfield, Aaron Rodgers, Corlin Sutton, and Josh Allen over the 1.02. All right, so 1.03 and 1.04 are both pretty close. So let's uh, let's go ahead and bring them into the conversation here um, before we uh, really start to unpack this a little bit. So one uh, rookie pick 103 goes with the third pick of the fourth round. 
um, immediately after Cortland Sutton and Josh Allen, immediately before Keenan Allen, Cooper Cup, Jared Goff, Stephon Diggs. And then 1.04 goes uh, with the, the 10th pick of the fourth round, immediately after Stephon Diggs, Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo, and immediately, uh, immediately before Todd Gurley, DJ Chark, and uh, and then a, a run of quarterbacks includes Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins, Sam Darnold. Uh, so how about let's do this? Because uh, I'm I'm guessing if you think that 102 is too high, you probably think 103 and probably even 104 are also too high. Um, you know, you, you're you're even if you're able to to stay fluid with these picks, I mean you know, it, it starts drying up. Like even, even if the, the rookie draft kind of plays out the way we think it will, you know, with both Burrow and Tua being, you know, top five NFL picks and landing in pretty good situations, um, you know, relatively good situations, uh, you know, and, and ending up being the consensus one and two, you know, the, the odds of Justin Herbert, um, you know, it's certainly possible. I mean, the, the scenario that you laid out, I feel like that's kind of what happened, uh, you know, two years ago with that rookie group where, you know, for so long we thought, you know, Josh Allen and Sam Darnold, they looked like they were going to be the guys, maybe Josh Rosen, you know, those guys were all kind of in the conversation and then kind of out of nowhere comes Baker Mayfield. And, you know, it, it's a mix of the tape and kind of the, the, the interviews um, and everything. And, and, you know, people just kind of fall in love with the certainly the tape, but also just kind of the intangibles, the, the attitude that he brings, the, the part that you hate. A lot of people really were kind of kind of gravitated towards that. And Baker Mayfield ends up being the first overall pick in the NFL draft and being the consensus uh, I guess not. He he probably wasn't 1.01. I, I I think Saquon Barkley was was still 1.01. Uh, but um, yeah, Saquon easily would have been 1.01. But but you know, Baker Mayfield end up ended up jumping ahead of in a lot of cases. Um, you know, Darius Geis and Nick Chubb in a super flex rookie draft. So you know, Justin Herbert could could find that same trajectory but you know if this plays out the way we kind of think it will you know your first two picks in your super flex rookie draft are joe burrow and tua and from there you know 103 104 i mean you're almost committed to taking running backs at that point you know it almost has to be the guys the the running backs in in you know, with the best combination of talent and opportunity in the best landing spots possible. So yeah. it, 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 it makes it really hard to be fluid. So those should be actually quite a bit lower than where they, they're at, I would think. Yeah, they're, they're to me, they should be much lower um, on this list. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable taking them where they're going. And you can look down, John, let's look down. You, you mentioned the 1.04 going ahead of Gurley, uh, DJ Shark, and the three quarterbacks, Stafford, Cousins, and Darnold. Let's look down a little further. The, la- the next two picks, Calvin Ridley and Chris Carson, I, I'd almost rather have both those guys over these picks. I mean, Calvin Ridley, it, I don't think – 
people give Calvin Ridley his his due. This year, look, he missed the last three games, okay? Um, that's not counting this week, week 17. He's going to miss four games uh, total, right, with this injury. He's going to finish the year with 63 receptions, 866 yards, and seven touchdowns in, what, 13 games? In 13 games. I mean, if this guy would have stayed healthy all year, there's a good chance he has 80 80 receptions for over 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. That's a fantastic year after having double-digit touchdowns last year. I mean, uh, to me, Calvin Ridley, that's what I would hope that one of the receivers I, I draft at 1.01, Jerry Judy, I would hope that Jerry Judy could be Calvin Ridley in his first two years. You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, Calvin Ridley is huge, and we know that Julio is, you know, I mean, he's getting up there. Eventually, that, that passing of the torch is going to happen, and Calvin Ridley's numbers are going to increase even more. So uh, guys like that that are going behind these picks, to me, are just – uh, to me, it's insane. I would take those guys. I would take Gurley. I would take Shark. Um, there's several quarterbacks that, that were listed that I would take over these picks. Um, Stephon Diggs, Cooper Cup are guys I would take over both of these picks. Gurley, DJ Shark, um, you know, some of the quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins, um, Jared Goff. Um, you know, like you mentioned, the guy who's not even on this list who's so far down. Uh, Cam Newton is a guy I'd probably take over these picks. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of players that I would take over the 1.03 and 1.04 just because, I mean, you're, you're – you're, I, I, you don't know what you're going to get with those picks. You don't know position. You don't know um, – I mean, there's there's a lot of uncertainty there, and like you said, it also hampers you in roster configuration and construction. Um, so to me, it's just I, I mean, man, as of right now, I would I would uh, definitely say those picks are going probably at least around too early, maybe even more. Yeah, it, yeah, at least, and and I think that's what I want to find out from you. But we'll start with 102. But I'm just gonna I'm gonna name off these players, and you tell me where we reach the point where you would consider at least consider 1.02 over the players that were drafted. Um, so we can, we can find a more suitable spot first for one Oh two, and then we'll do the same thing with one Oh three and one Oh four. Um, so yeah, after 1.02, it went Julio Jones, Baker Mayfield, Aaron Rodgers, Cortland Sutton, Josh Allen, Keenan Allen, Cooper cup, Jared Goff, Stefan Diggs, any that's of those, probably, right? Yeah, that, that you just nailed it. You know, right where you were going to stop. That's probably right after Stefan Diggs is where I would probably start thinking the one point oh two. Yeah, so you would you would prefer Stefan Diggs over one point oh two? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and you know a good way to think about this, and and this is why I agree with you, is I mean I I. I like to think about these players if they were put into the rookie draft. That's kind of the way we go about, you know, doing our rankings and and valuing these players against rookie picks. You know, when you put out a, a Twitter poll saying, you know, would you trade this player for this pick? Here's how here's in the terms of it where, you know, here's how I I kind of think about it. If Stefan Diggs happen to be available in your rookie draft you know a, a couple years ago this happened to us where marshawn lynch um you know he had been on people's waiver wires because he had missed an entire season where he was quote-unquote retired and then randomly appears on the oakland raiders and so all of a sudden he was available for you to draft in your rookie draft and he he was going pretty high 
in those in those rookie drafts. So, you know, if the same thing happened with Stefan Diggs, where he just randomly ends up in the player pool where you he could be drafted in in your rookie draft. You know, so Joe Burrow goes first overall. You know, and and now you've got Tua, uh, you know, uh, with a, a pretty major injury on a pretty bad team, knowing full well that, I mean, he's likely to redshirt his rookie year, partly because of the injury and partly because that's just kind of what you do with these rookie quarterbacks is it for at least part of the season. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, you're not even going to get Tua on the field for, you know, for most of his rookie season. Meanwhile, Stephon Diggs is still going to be in that Vikings offense, still going to be producing with Kirk Cousins. Uh, you know, who who would you rather take with that pick if you had that option? Are yeah. you taking Diggs or are you taking Tua? And and I I mean, I think it's got to be Diggs. Now, of course, you know, there's always the caveat for us. We We talk about this all the time, but, you know, the quarterbacks do have just such significant value based on scarcity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so it makes it close but i think i think there's uh, real quick though john there, there's a lot of assumption there that two is going to be the 1.02 because like i said yeah. with burrow where there's a lot less question marks because of the medical things um with with two if those medical you know medicals come back and teams have some concern man, he he could really drop down boards i mean we've seen you know really talented players drop down draft boards for character issues for medical concerns for uh you know what have you if if these medicals come back and there's enough teams that are concerned about it and Tua starts really you know dropping down NFL draft boards he might not be the consensus 1.02 we might be looking at you might have to you know decide between you know DeAndre Swift Jonathan Taylor, Jerry Judy, that sort of thing. I mean, or, or Justin Herbert, maybe. I mean, you know, so to me, the, the the safety of the 1.01 is, you know, worst case scenario, you get Joe Burrow, who's, you know, a, a top five pick, I would say pretty, pretty, uh, uh, pretty comfortably. Um, but likely the number one overall pick where he's going to Cincinnati. I think there's some, some, you know, safety there that you don't have with the 1.02. So while we can sit there and say, you know, Diggs or Tua with Tua, you know, potentially, you know, red shirting, that's best case scenario. You know, worst case scenario is there's no clear 1.02 and you're weighing Diggs and three or four other players that are in a, you know, okay positions to succeed. I mean that, and, and, you know, might not have the position scarcity of quarterbacks. So, uh, it's interesting when you, you know, you kind of weigh it that way because, um, you know, there's there's a lot more to take into consideration when it comes to the 1.02 than there is the 1.01, in my opinion, this year. Yeah, absolutely. And and we saw this actually play out in 2017 with that great running back class, you know, led by Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook. But, you know, we also had Christian McCaffrey. We had. Uh, you know, we had Joe Mixon, we had Alvin Kamara, we had Kareem Hunt. And, and you know, it, it didn't actually end up working out this way, but um, I, I, obviously it didn't, it didn't work out this way. But immediately after the NFL draft, even with all those great running backs, and, it, you know, we felt like they didn't, none of them ended up in great spots. 
you know, Dalvin Cook ended up in probably the best landing spot at the time is what we thought. And oh, Minnesota, it, remember when he was drafted, though, Minnesota had offensive line issues like no other. Yeah. Uh, so th- there was some question there, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they let him fall, you know, is as very possibly the best running back in the draft. They let him fall to what the second round because of those character issues. All of those other guys went ahead of him. You know, uh, uh, not all those guys, but, you know, Fournette went ahead of him, McCaffrey, uh, Joe Mixon. The, uh, did Joe Mixon? He might he he would have fell, too. I think, because I of, think he fell below. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there were those those quote unquote character issues that kind of knocked those guys down. Um, but, yeah, I mean, these guys ended up in, you know, it seemed like not great landing spots in a lot of cases. Meanwhile, Corey Davis goes super high in the draft, like third overall to Tennessee, something like that, where they had nothing at wide receiver. And all of a sudden he became the consensus 1.01 in in our dynasty rookie drafts. You know, I and you know, we didn't think much of the quarterbacks at the time. Mitch Trubisky was drafted the highest. Um, but you know, we had very little tape on him. He he was very inexperienced. Uh, Deshaun Watson felt like, uh, you know, he, he went fairly high. He, he felt like one of those guys who was going to be good for college football, but not so much for, for the NFL. He, you know, kind of a lot of talk about him being a product of the system. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and throwing to the, all those big wide receivers that he had there all the time. And, you know, they're kind of the Tim Tebow effect a little bit. We thought he was going to be a better college player than a pro player. Um, Pat Mahomes, it was, you know, he's he's very raw. He's he's um, he's got a big arm, but he's kind of a gunslinger. And and that doesn't always work out. You know, look at look at Jay Cutler, I guess. It's like, yeah, yeah. Played in a spread offense, um, you know, shotgun a lot. Never played under center. Yeah. There was some question marks here. Yeah. Yeah, so we ended up with a lot of concerns with a lot of those those players, and it pushed Corey Davis up to the top of our drafts, our, our dynasty rookie drafts. And, you know, the same thing could happen with Jerry Judy. Now, I don't think Jerry Judy is Corey Davis, uh, and, you know, vice versa. <laughs> For him. Yeah. And, and I, I sure as hell hope that, it, you know, maybe maybe there's still a chance here for Corey Davis. Maybe he's on the Devontae Parker trajectory. Um, but I hope that, it, the, it, you know, even in the best case scenario, I hope that it doesn't take Jerry Judy that long. But w- the, the point here being Jerry Judy could go super early to a great landing spot. I mean, you put him uh, – and I'm drawing a little bit of a blank now on, on you know – a, a good offense with a good quarterback that just needs a little bit of wide receiver help, but it could, could be interesting. Arizona might be in the market for a wide receiver, depending on what Fitzgerald does. And that's a pass happy offense that uh, he could see opportunity in. So that, that would be an interesting fit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's several places that he could go to. You're right. I mean, what if, what if New Orleans trades up, you know, and they, they end up saying Jerry Judy's that, that number two to, to Michael, Michael Thomas in that pass happy offense with Sean Payton too. Um, there's definitely some interesting landing spots that could be had for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we could end up in a position where, you know, Jerry Judy and ends up being kind of the consensus 1.02. 
and you know it, it it's it makes it really hard to pass on him so you know at that point it, even if you believe that Jerry Judy is going to be a better wide receiver in the NFL than Stefan Diggs it's still going to take a couple years to even get there mm-hmm yeah, no, and I, I agree with that. I, the, the wide receiver position is very interesting. We haven't talked a lot about that with these uh, potential picks, but it, it might not just be Judy. I mean, you know, what if what if a guy like C.D. Lamb lands up in Green Bay or New Orleans later in the draft? Or what if a guy like uh, Jalen Rieger, you know, ends up on a pass-happy offense over in, uh, uh, I don't know, Tampa Bay or Kansas City, you know, I there's a lot of uh, a lot of what ifs and a lot of guys that could wind up in some really nice spots, especially at the wide receiver position where you go, you know what, man, this guy could really perform here. You know, he could really do some things um, in this offense. So it's definitely interesting to see, but I, and that's just it. I think after the 1.01, there's some serious questions on what's going to happen. So you're risking a lot with that 1.02 going as high as it is in the third round of, of a startup um, on a, on, and you just don't know, there's no, there's no safety, you know, to me there. So it very well could look like a receiver could be the 1.02 off the board that at that point, it could look like a running back. It could look like a second quarterback, you know, there's a lot that could happen. So it's interesting, but I think you bringing up the wide receivers, the wide receivers are even more interesting because when you talk running back, there's probably two that really come to mind and that's Swift and, uh, and Jonathan Taylor. Those are the two guys that you would think, okay, these, these are the guys that are probably in play. If, if, you know, they land in the right scenario, and everything that that they might be considered at the 1.02 at wide receiver. I think it could be a number of players. I mean, there could be four or five. Like you mentioned, Ruggs is, is going really high. Chenault, yeah. if he lands in the right position, you know, Rieger, uh, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, these are all guys that if they land in the right situation, they could see their value skyrocket. So uh, the wide receiver position is even more volatile. If if you, you know, for some reason you watch tape and you just don't like one of the, you know, the players' games that's transitioning, and that's the player that winds up in, you know, that fantastic role, um, you know, looking like, you know, he had the best landing spot, you know, that, that could be, uh, could be interesting too, you know, what do you do at that point? So, um, yeah, that there's, that there's a lot of volatility at the wide receiver position in this draft. Um, that's going to really, really depend on landing spot and, and coaching and opportunity. Rugs is a really interesting one to me. So I don't, first of all, I, I, don't know if there's room for me on the Drew Locke uh, bandwagon at this point um, after the nasty things that I've said about him. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I also, I, I really don't think that it would play out this way. But Denver has, I think Denver's tracking still for a top 10, top 12 pick. Uh-huh. And I, I, the kind of the thing that they're missing, I mean, they, they need to rebuild that offensive line. That's why I think the most likely scenario for them in the first round is they probably uh, try and address particularly offensive tackle. Um, but the other thing that they're missing at this point, and, and, you know, once you find that quarterback, this, this has been my frustration is the fact that it didn't feel like they were really looking for that franchise quarterback. They were still chasing Paxton Lynch and thinking that they could make that work this time. And as it turns out, I mean, what we're finding out here is that Drew Locke has a totally different 
uh, approach to, you know, he's, he's got the big arm like Paxton Lynch had the difference is he's, he's, you know, he's always looking to throw Paxton Lynch was, it was never like that. He was, he held the ball too long. He didn't process information fast enough. The guy's just Paxton Lynch is one of the biggest idiots on earth. And that's, that's what made the, you know, using the exact same process to draft drew Locke So incredibly frustrating to me. It's like, you know, that Paxton Lynch is, is, is virtually brain dead. And you're still looking for that same thing. You just happen to find a guy with brain function, first of all. Second of all, he he has the confidence and the competence to throw the ball down the field. Third, he has the same mobility as Paxton Lynch, but he uses it to, you know, to, to extend the play, not to just tuck the ball and run, but to actually roll out and keep his eyes down the field looking to throw. That's what Drew Locke does that they didn't have with Paxton Lynch. But anyways, because of all that, I, I, you know, I, first of all, you know, shout out to our friends over the trade addicts podcast. I've, I, I definitely need to make amends with drew Locke. He's a, he's a totally different player than what I honestly think John Elway thought he was getting. <laughs> so, uh, but all, because of that, all of a sudden, you know, you find that quarterback and all of a sudden, it, it kind of, instead of this roster being just a bunch of, of problems, being a quote-unquote rebuild, now all of a sudden, you can see kind of the, the small detail work that you need to do to improve this roster. And to me, one of the, the smaller kind of details that the Denver Broncos need at this point is that burner outside wide receiver. You know, they've got the... You've got your your big target with Cortland Sutton, kind of your deep ball type of type of guy. Your you know your your fifty fifty ball guy. Tim Patrick is kind of the same thing. Deshaun Hamilton's kind of your slot wide receiver. They're they're missing that outside speed, that field stretcher. And I could I I I could see I could at least make an argument for Henry Ruggs in the first round. I don't think he's going to be there for you in the second round. That's part of the issue. But I, I could make an argument for Henry Ruggs being the guy who does the most for, you know, number one, the 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 continued, you know, advancement of of Drew Locke, um, the progression of of his abilities and of his career. Uh, and, you know, number two, what helps you you know, get this, this rebuild completely done and, and turn you into a playoff contender the fastest. I think it's, I, I could make an argument that it's Henry Ruggs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tell you what, there's several, several wide receivers that would fit that, but can you imagine with Cortland Sutton having a, a Henry Ruggs on the other side um, and Noah Fant, you know, really starting to come into his own at the end of the season too now, could you imagine? I mean, that offense looks like it's it, it would be on the uh, on on the right track, huh? For the first time yeah. in a while, it yeah. Look like 
that running game too. I mean, uh, really, really would be fun to, to kind of watch that offense uh, grow. I do think though that there's going to be some wide receivers in the second round, and, and maybe even Ruggs falls there, or Jalen Rieger or someone like that that could be had. Whereas you could get an offensive tackle, a guy like uh, uh, you know, my, the guy I really like is uh, out of Iowa, um, and. Uh, uh, that is uh, Tristan Wirfs. He's, he's a, an offensive tackle out of Iowa. Iowa's got a couple. Um, Larry Jackson is another one uh, who's highly ranked. But Tristan Wirfs is a guy who I really, really like. He's six foot five, three hundred twenty pounds. Um, he's been really, really good for Kirk Ferentz over in uh, Iowa, and I, I, I would like to see him. You know, on that Denver offensive line, if they can wind a receiver in the second round, I really feel like that would be awesome. But uh, you know, we can dream. Um, Obviously, Denver has some some holes defensively, and you you would know a lot more about uh, about that as well. But uh, so I'll defer that. But I I do think that um, Denver would be an awesome fit for one of those top wide receivers, and uh, and there, John, as a a card carrying <laughs> member to the Drew Locke fan club, I can tell you that there is certainly room for you on that bandwagon, sir. You you're nice. going to jump on. Um, I I do think it's funny though that uh, that like you said, John Elway didn't think he was going to get this kind of player. And that's a good thing for the Broncos. Like, you know, normally that when the GM, you know, spends a pick and you know, boy, I don't think he's getting the player he thinks normally that's a bad thing, right? Like, Oh man, that, that's not good. But no, in this case, it worked out uh, quite well, but I, I think there's going to be some ebbs and flows still for Drew Locke. You could tell he's still learning. There's still some things that he has to get better at. Um, so I do think that there's going to be a learning curve in there. I don't expect him to continue to ascend, but um, I do think, you know, over the course of the next few seasons, you're going to see a really good quarterback there. So um, I'm, I'm happy uh, with, with the way that Denver offense is, is starting to look, John. I hope you are too being a, a fan of that squad i'm i'm very happy i just to foreshadow our our next episode a little bit uh where you and i are going to have a a very special guest to kind of look ahead um to 2020 but i mean one of one of my thoughts is actually i i actually think that that denver offense could be very very good very very dangerous in 2020 and i think that a great way if you're kind of rebuilding around young players right now and, and, and um, you know, you, you did the productive struggle this past year to, to load up on, you know, draft picks and, and young talent um, rather than going through that again in 2020, I think a quick way to rebuild your Superflex dynasty roster would be to stack, you know, Drew Locke, Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton. I think that's going to be one of those offenses that you that you kind of want a piece of. That you know, not to say that they're going to be the best offense in the league necessarily, but you know, kind of we we kind of saw this this year with you know the the Baltimore stack of uh, obviously Lamar Jackson, and then you could really kind of stack them with um, stack him with Mark Ingram. Um, that one doesn't make a ton of sense, but it worked out and Mark Andrews. And that ended up being a very, very dangerous dynasty roster. Uh, very hard to beat. Even if you just stacked Lamar Jackson with Mark Andrews. But, I mean, that that's, that's a pretty quick way to turn things around is to find those offenses that you have to have a... You, you really want to have a piece of, you know? Um, there was a time... Uh, earlier in the season where Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett and Will Disley was that was that was a pretty devastating stack as well, you know. 
John, I'm really going to drop a bombshell here, and uh, I'm just going to I'm just going to make one statement. And if you if you want, tune in next week where we're going to discuss it a little bit more. I think it might be a good time to buy low on Baker Mayfield. How's that for I, predictions? I like that one. I I agree with that one. I think that's another one of the. That's that's that same. that offense in general. Like I mean, especially since you 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 can get. You can get Odell Beckham Jr. pretty cheap as well. You can get Baker Mayfield pretty cheap. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to run out of hot takes for the now. Nah, we'll never run out of hot takes. So I'm going to go ahead and throw this one out there. But, yeah, the, those, the three stacks that I'm going to chase this offseason, it's that Cleveland stack, uh, the Denver stack. Um, so Cleveland with, you know, Baker Mayfield – Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. I think I, I'm I'm going to be pretty uh, all in on that stack, uh, that Denver stack, which I think is going to be a very cheap one and kind of a a, a little less of a buy low. Um, it's still going to be a little bit expensive, but get you know Jared Goff and several pieces of that Rams offense as well. Um, they're all being very undervalued right now. And I I don't believe that Sean McVay no longer knows how to coach an offense. Wow. I, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So we we get to go into further depth in that next week, and I can't wait because I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm actually going to show Baker love, and you are actually going to show the Rams love. <laughs> and around, huh? Yeah, Andrew Locke. He's he's going to get some. Uh, He's gonna get yeah. some airtime from me as well. So Jameis Winston still sucks. <laughs> yeah, He's not worth thirty thousand or thirty million. Good God, Jameis! I know the fact that he even thinks that that's within that that's a reasonable thing to ask for. Like that's all you need to know about that guy. Just completely I will say, unaware. I'm gonna throw this out. I I did hear, uh, you know, on on six seventy the score, uh, which is a radio station. Um, out of Chicago, Hub Arkish, who you know was with Pro Football Weekly, uh, a very ex- uh, well-respected football mind around the league, um, has has been covering the league for I don't even know over twenty-five years. I mean, a, a long-time guy um, says that he has heard that he wouldn't be shocked if Jameis Winston is not brought back to Tampa Bay. Apparently Bruce Arians, from what he hears, would like to bring him back, and no one else in Tampa Bay is on board with that. So um, <laughs> what's not, not so fast with the Jameis Winston's getting tagged and going to be brought back thing. We'll see. Yeah. Um, says Hubbard. I, I believe him a little bit. So so we'll see. That is absolutely amazing to me that there's even one proponent of bringing Jameis Winston back and and like an influential voice Bruce Arians just does not seem like that type to me um that's uh that's that's pretty interesting though uh I I I think it to me it's more likely that Jameis Winston is not a starting quarterback in 2020 than Jameis Winston is the starting quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 I like just, that. I, I just look around the league and I'm like, where does he fit? Where does he make sense? The Indianapolis Colts might be willing to throw money at him. For you know, I, I don't think that it's the right move. I don't think that he's that he's better for that roster than than Jacoby Brissett. 
but you know, it's, I, 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 I wouldn't be too shocked if they threw some money at him, but I mean, beyond them, I look around the league and I'm just like, where, where else, where does Jameis Winston even fit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. I, I think, I think, I think where he fits is one of these teams that's going to bring in competition for a starting quarterback. So like Chicago, um, where, where they may, you know, try to push Mitch to, to do something, um, yeah. or, or, or a team team like that. But boy, I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm very outspoken when it comes to Winston. <laughs> so my, uh, mm-hmm. the, the other side is so not represented right now. Yeah, yeah, and that's the problem is that people are <laughs> screaming at the radio right now going, he threw for 5,000 <laughs> yards, over 30 touchdowns, and, you know, we're not even acknowledging that. We're just going into the, like, 36, 35, 36 turnovers this year. Yeah. You know, I, who, who's going to value seven, that? Seven wins? Is that how many games did they end up winning at this yeah, point? Yeah, I think they're at seven right now, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you're in the best case scenario, they win this week and, and get to 500, I believe. And that but, might be his best record in the, what, four or five years that he's been in Tampa? Yeah, I think that's right. I I, I just, I, I don't know what good that does you. I And I, I understand why people are protective of him because of what he did for fantasy purposes, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah. So they're seven and eight. They're at home against the six and nine Falcons, and they're a one point favorite at home against a team with a an inferior record. And part of that, part of all of this, is the fact that Jameis Winston saved his absolute worst games for uh, against the uh, division opponents. Between mm-hmm. like he had one game against, I want to say it was Atlanta and Carolina were the two games, and he combined. In between those two games, he combined for nine interceptions. Oh god! And obviously, yeah. they lost them both. Like you can't do that. You can't. No. You, no. You, you've got to win division games. You've got to. In in order to do that, you've got to protect the football. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. Let's let's not forget that the argument that I heard the most was that this defense put him in such negative game scripts that he had to throw the ball. He had to take chances, so he's throwing into tight windows, trying to come back and keep. <laughs> Competitive problem with that is, is that we saw what happened his last game against the Houston Texans. What happened his last game against the Houston Texans was he came out and his first two pass attempts were interceptions. <laughs> and, yeah. And, yeah, and he turned the ball over four times. The defense only allowed 16 points against because one of the interceptions was a pick six. So the defense only allowed 16 points to Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, and that offense, and they still ended up losing. And, and, you know, Jameis Winston looked like garbage. So that, that whole argument goes out the window when you see games happen like that. Like, no, it's, it's the game script is negative because he's turning the ball over and he's making it a negative game script for himself to throw for a bunch of yards. But that, that doesn't equal NFL wins and coaches aren't going to be happy with that just because fantasy owners are. Uh, I guess that's yeah. kind of the bottom line with Winston. Five of the last seven games on their opening drive, he threw an interception. That, there's yeah. no game script at that point. He's just turning it over because that's what he does. The and other those are two were punts. Those are the plays that you you practiced. Those are the plays yeah, that you that's your scripted. Like, oh man, uh, it's that's it's just <laughs> watch. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, he's the worst. He's the All absolute right. worst. 
So, John, uh, what are we going to wrap this up? Because this this would be a good note to wrap it up on. I, you know, how much I love talking trash about James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably. Otherwise, we're just going to go forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we'll just we'll just we'll just wrap it up there. Let's just do a hard stop because um you know we could we could get back to our adp but uh i i think that we've established at this point that uh every pick with a possible exception of 1.01 went way too high uh mm-hmm. if we and you know i'm gonna do this throughout the off season so i'm not totally sure uh how it's going to work just yet because i'm still collecting Superflex adp for dynastyleaguefootball.com running mock drafts every month, kind of around the, the 10th or 12th of every month. Um, I'll start up those, those, uh, ADP mocks. So, uh, um, make sure you're, uh, watching out for that tweet and, uh, you can jump in and, um, I just, I just crowdsource it. So I just get a bunch of different mockers and, uh, um, you, you don't have to have any kind of job title or anything, just, uh, just a desire to, to do some super flex mocks and you can jump in with us. And it's super um, fun too to join those because you get people who are taking it seriously because they, they want to see what kind of team build they can have with different types of approaches. So it's kind of fun to see, Hey, look, you know, if I were to do, if I were to do a startup right now, kind of how, how, what would be the best way to approach it? You approach your draft the way, you know, Hey, let's, let me see how, what my team would look like if I go quarterback heavy with the first few picks or if I go running back heavy and you can really kind of weigh your, your, you know, so it, it can be helpful and beneficial to you if you're, uh, you know, if you're looking to join a mock and you do so um, to help you with a, with a startup that you're going to have later in the year. So I think those are important. And I think also, John, I, I want to thank you for saying that you're going to continue doing this throughout the year because these rookie picks are going to change in value throughout the year uh, when we start hearing some things on the medicals onto a um, combine once the combine happens we're going to know a lot more um, and and you know free agency is going to tell us which you know what teams are going to address in the draft uh, so these these picks to me are going to really really change in value uh, each month you know, um, so uh, it, it'll be fun to kind of revisit this and see kind of where the ebbs and flows are of these picks uh, individually. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is super important, and uh, it's 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 unfortunate just because the you know the software we use to uh, to um, to compile the ADP data for DynastyLeagueFootball.com doesn't recognize these draft picks. Um, so you know you can still get uh, ADP data for your startup drafts from dynastyleaguefootball.com. And it's still super useful. Um, it really kind of gives you an idea of, of values and stuff, but um, yeah, I mean, th- this is the only way that we can do it where we also include those picks, which, you know, again, that's, that's a part of your startup. If you're doing a startup right now, those rookie picks are going to be involved. And later in the, the year, those, uh, uh, those, those picks are going to turn into actual players. And then, you know, we're going to start doing, we're going to turn it into uh super flex ADP mocks that include the actual rookie players uh, in place of those picks. And it's fun to see how those, you know, what, what happens there as well, because those, the, the actual player value is never nearly, it, it's never as high as the pick was. So 
like we said, 212 in this, these startup mocks. Uh, the consensus 212 was, you know, rookie pick 1.01. Well, if the consensus end up ends up being that, you know, Joe Burrow is the rookie pick 1.01, I he's he's not going to go as high as two twelve. He's probably yeah. going to go somewhere in the third round. You know what it is, John? It's it's almost like that episode of Family Guy. <laughs> yeah, where, where Peter, where Peter, <laughs> you know, wins. You know, he sits through that thing and he, he gets awarded a boat. And they say you can take the boat or you could take the mystery box. And he's trying to justify it to his wife Lois, and he goes, "Well, let's let's take the box." And she goes, "What? No, let's take the boat. We came here for the boat. That's what we wanted." He's like, "Yeah, but the boat's just a boat. The box could be anything. It could even be a boat. You know how much those." <laughs> and it's perfect because that's what it is. Uh, the pick is just mystery. It could be anything. It could be you could end up with the next Andrew Luck. You could end up with the next, you know, Peyton Manning. Um, but you could also end up with, you know, the next. Uh, you know, Ryan Leaf. So you don't know what you're going to get. And that's the problem is that, you know, you're passing up on the known, you know, you could, you know, he, he, that quarterback could be the next Aaron Rodgers. Well, why don't you just take Aaron Rodgers then and instead of trying to get the next one, you know, like I, I that's, that's just kind of it. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's <laughs> the way I would describe these picks when you're, when you're kind of approaching it sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're going to talk a lot about that throughout the offseason, but it's great to have this ADP to kind of point to a little bit. So um so yeah, we'll we'll uh we'll keep doing that throughout the offseason. We won't necessarily always get to talk about it here on the podcast, but um I'll do my best to uh um to to disseminate that information. Um you know, I'll write those articles for DLF to um just so you know, you can still get an idea of where those picks are going. Um, and, and we'll still talk about them here on the podcast. We're going to have two episodes a week throughout the non-point scoring season. So plenty of opportunities to talk about all the things that are that are affecting you uh, at, at the various stages of the process as you load up your team and get ready for 2020. But we're going to wrap it up there for the week and for the year. For the decade, <laughs> this is this is uh, this is it for 2019 for the 2010s. Yeah, it's it, it, I uh, it was uh, I, I I hope that everybody had a, a great holiday season. Uh, everybody have a happy new year. Um, definitely party hard, party responsibly, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll we'll be back. Dad joke time. We'll be back next year <laughs> with another episode. Uh, but as we wrap it up for the week, we want to ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also subscribe to the DLF Family of Podcasts Mega Feed and get access to all of the great podcasts from DLF. Not just the Superflex Super Show, but all of those great podcasts that DLF has to offer. And once you're subscribed, whether it's to the mega feed or to the super show itself, if you'd give us a rating and review, it would really help us out. Not all podcatchers give you that option, but on the ones that do, those ratings and reviews, they help us to expand our reach. We can grow our audience, uh, involve more people in our super flex conversations. And from there, we can, we can really zero in on the topics that are the most useful to you, the listener. And in the vein of listener interaction, send us your trades on Twitter at Superflex Show. You can also send them to any one of us individually. 
I'm at Superflex Dude. James is at underscore James the Brain. And we can retweet them, help you get more votes and comments. And sometimes we even bring them here on the podcast and analyze them. And we can do a lot more of that this offseason. Sorry, non-point scoring season. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the song, The Addiction, that we use as our intro and outro music. And above all else, thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Until 2020, stay sexy and super flexy. Yeah.